Okay, um, as a church body, we have had uh, different, different things God's spoken to us as to what our emphasis should be. And, and God has called us to have a broader impact than just here in Coleraine and just on, in, within the confines of these walls. All churches are called to that. But uh, we believe God's given us a specific call to minister to pastors and to others that uh, may come here and just want some time for refreshing and to get, you know, to get a, a, a re- retooling in place and things like that. And uh, we have a couple, uh, Jason and Emily Smith, who have been vineyard pastors for a number of years. And about three years ago it was you came here, right? Okay, so they came here three years ago after having pastored a vineyard church in Mason for several years and uh, came here for refreshing, retooling, to, to um, get experience in a little larger church context and, and leadership experience in that context. And they have recently accepted a call to the Salida Vineyard in Salida, Colorado. And so we're really excited for them. This is what they've been working towards and, and what we've been, what we've been um, praying for them all along. So let's just give it up for them right now, okay? Come on up, guys. All right, great to see you here. Great to have you here. Um, were we going to give them uh, the the plaques? I think you were going to do that, Will. So come on up here. This is Wilson. He's uh, one of our executive pastors. So here's the thing: who's funnier, Van or I? That's pretty much what the plaque giving away comes down to. Okay. So Sarah, we present to you. Not actually, no, we're gonna go Jason first. Jason, we give you the tallest person to ever walk in the Vineyard Church Northwest Award. <laughs> Jason, do you want to just take a second and apologize to anyone that's ever had to sit behind you during church? That'd be awesome. <laughs> and Emily, this is actually like a really positive one. Most likely to wear her heart on her sleeve, her hat, and her jeans. Emily Smith. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Um, I, I want to just say three quick things about uh, Jason and his time here and, and, and Emily. And the first one, the first word I would use to describe Jason is humility. Uh, he's humble. He's teachable. Uh, he is the most educated guy on staff or anywhere around. This is Dr. Smith, okay? If you didn't know that, Dr. Smith. And yet he has been so teachable and honored other people with far less education or experience or knowledge. And that is a tremendous characteristic. And that's going to carry you far, Jason. The second thing about Jason I want to say is he is visionary. And he, uh, when he gets uh, tied into a vision and he knows it's God, he goes after it. And that happened uh, years ago when we were considering doing School of Kingdom ministry here. Jason was still pastoring the Mason Vineyard. And Jason called me and said, hey, I think we need School of Kingdom ministry here in Cincinnati, and your church is the one to bring it here. And so that was, that was the thing that put us over the tipping point. And we said, okay, we're going to do it. And so you can see the impact Sockham has had on our church, and there are half a dozen other churches in Cincinnati now doing School of Kingdom ministry because, uh, because it came here. Jason played a key role in that. The whole healing on the streets ministry, Jason was way ahead of the curve on this. And when he came, he said, hey, we need to have Mark Marks here. And we thought, oh, okay, maybe, and thinking it through. But Jason was tenacious, and, and we had Mark Marks here. And it has been a powerful, had a powerful impact on our church, such that if you're not aware of this, every Saturday for two hours, we have a team of people at uh, Northgate Mall praying for healing and for just whatever needs people bring there. Jason was a, a huge part of, if not the key driver in bringing that here. So Jason, you're going to take that vision, you're going to take that drive, you're going to take that humility to Colorado, and God's going to bless it. And with both, yeah, yeah, go ahead, yeah. (laughs) 
I, I want to say for both of, of these two, uh, and I saved community for last, but by community, I mean healthy relationships within the church body. They are totally committed to that, to discipling others, loving others. They have led the family, the family group here at the church for the last few years. And, um, and together, just have this huge heart to bless and disciple others. Emily has worked hard, full-time, last few years, and that, that takes a lot, and that takes a lot of commitment on your part, and, and, and we just want to honor you for that. Thank you for that. So, um, that all said, I'm going to hand the mic to Jason. This might be the end of the service. Who knows? He might go for 40 minutes now. Uh, we just want to let Jason say a few things. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, obviously, we're really excited about what is to come, but... Um, really sad too. Um, we love everybody here. And, uh, when we landed here three years ago, we really were walking wounded. Um, you know, we'd just been through the battle of leading a ministry and failing at least on the surface, it looked like failure. And, uh, it was just honoring Van and Lori. They, when we came here, they just put absolutely no expectations on us and said, just, just sit here. And um, that was awesome, but like six months later, everybody, the staff were like, can we ask Jason and Emily to do stuff, you know? So, um, <clears throat> but that has all, we've, we've been able to just lead out of our gifting here, and that's been really refreshing. Um, the family group folks that came to us, they, they were a small group, and they came to us and said, hey, we really need help, like, taking this to wherever it needs to go. And I just want to say... If you ha- haven't come to family group, you should come. Because this group of people are like the best leaders I've ever worked with in my life. And um, they literally have saved our lives over the last three years. And, and just empowered, you know, just given us confidence again. And so um, you all need to get around them. And I'm talking about Tim and uh, Ellie and Grant and Sarah and Marcus and April and um, the Jessica and Nick and the Stephens. Like, you want to be around these people. So I really encourage you to be a part of that um, and where it's going in the future. And the, the other thing, just like, we've been able to just soak up the culture here. And I'm so excited to go uh, just re you know, just imitate what we've learned here in Salida. And if anybody wants to come and take a trip to Colorado and come visit us, we would love it. And, but be careful. You might end up moving there. Okay. So we love you guys and thank you so much. Actually, um, one of the sayings we've had over the years in the vineyard is you give your best away. And so we're doing that by sending Emily and Jason there. But maybe you want to go with them. Salida does look like a cool place to live. And uh, maybe you want to go with them. If you do, we'll, we will bless that and, and, uh, and encourage you in that. Lori has some presentations to make, right? Uh, I think there's some skyline in here. (laughs) (laughs) So Wilson gave you your your, um, certificates, and we'll take it all back so we can give it to you in next service. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I just want to, I thank the Lord for you, Jason and Emily. And, um, yeah, I've been interacting with Jason and um, and coaching the Socket interns, and um, it's just been such a... Um, wonderful contribution that you've made to our ministry. So, do you want to pray? All right, thanks. Uh, why don't you guys step down here on the floor with your sons? We have Sam and uh, Jack and Ben that are their three sons. And uh, we're going to, staff, come on up and any other, uh, step out some, would you please, so people can come in behind you. And um, if, you, if, you're, if you're close to, to this couple and you want to come up and lay hands on them and, and help in this, please do. Father, uh, we thank you for Jason and Emily. Thank you for bringing them into our lives 
And the blessing they've been to us has been incredible. And uh, so much of that has been just their open-heartedness to let us bless them. Then the blessing comes back, and, and uh, we thank you for them. Thank you that you've prepared them for this next step. And this is not an accident or uh, anything like that. This is the next step you've had in mind for them for a long time. And we bless you. We bless you with every good thing God's put into this church body. We bless you with that and release that anointing to you. And we do that. It's already happened, but we do that here officially and just seal that release and pray that as you go to Salida, you are going to carry the culture. You are going to carry not only the things that you learned here, but the things that you brought here, you're going to carry there with you, and it's going to be a powerful ministry. We bless you guys in Jesus' name. Yeah, Father, thank you so much for Jason and Emily and Jack and Ben and Sammy. Bless them. And I, as I was just thinking about you guys this morning, I felt like God was said to pray multiplication over you guys and just to release the, just, yeah, that's God's heart. Is any, anything we do in ministry would multiply so I release in Jesus' name just um, an impartation of multiplication over the Smith family, over the Salida Vineyard, that everything they put their hand to would just naturally multiply. And I feel like God just saying, don't think small, but think big. Yeah, so um, I had a uh, dream last night. I'll give, share it with you briefly. But what I saw was I saw you guys going forth, and um, I saw uh, just a, it was like a large, uh, like a huge, like 15-passenger van, and it was full of all these gifts. And, um, and the gold coins, it was just really dramatic, and you guys were just zooming really fast. <laughs> it was like you were speeding or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really good. And it was, and then on top of the car were all these different kinds of just angels that were assigned to you. And then in the dream, simply, I just heard the Lord just say that he has prepared you and he has given you everything that you need and that you can depend on him and you can trust each other because each one of you have something. So, Father, I just pray for unity in Jesus' name, and I just release the anointing over them, God, over uh, every part of their gifts that, that they are bringing to the table. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Yeah, Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for Jason and Emily. Thank you for Jack and Ben and Sam. We bless you as you go. We bless you. We look forward to hearing all the wonderful reports of what God's doing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right, so uh, Jason and Emily and their family will be up front here on this side of the auditorium after the service, so you could come up and greet them and tell them what they have meant to you, okay? So this is a big deal, and uh, this is a, a big thing for us as a church body, a huge thing for Jason and Emily and their family. I'm going to invite Sarah Anderson up now. Sarah's going to come and give the message. Come on up, Sarah. Let's welcome Sarah. Thank you. Whew. It's hard to lose friends. <laughs> and I just echo what Jason said. If you haven't been to family group or a house group, come. <laughs> to do life with people, to share hurts and triumphs with each other. Oh, it's just so good. Um, so today we're going to talk about John 10, the voice of the shepherd. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all of these people. I thank you for this church. Pray that you would speak through me today. Thank you for the freedom that you have for us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have us hear today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So let's start by reading parts of John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. All right. Well, I will admit, I don't know a whole lot about sheep rearing. (laughs) I've kind of grown up in the suburbs and I still live in the suburbs. But I've tried to do a little bit of research and learn a little bit more about sheep rearing and especially sheep rearing in the first century. And what I've learned is that sheep are thought of as very obedient creatures, but not super smart. And they do learn the voice of their shepherd and they'll follow their shepherd wherever the shepherd tells them to go. And it was a common practice to have one kind of sheep fold and for multiple shepherds to put their flocks into the same fold. And the sheep would just all kind of mix and mingle. And if I tried to go into a fold and separate out flocks, and figure it out, I mean, it would be kind of comical because I don't know anything about sheep and I wouldn't know which sheep went to which flock, but for the shepherds, it's not a problem. They just go to the gate of the sheepfold and they call their sheep and their sheep kind of come out from amongst the crowd and they follow them. Well, why do the sheep do that? Well, they, they know the shepherd. They trust the shepherd. They know that they're going to get fed, taken to water, that their wounds are going to be cared for or bound up, that they might get a, a pat on the head. It's kind of like why your dog comes when you call him or your cat or, in my case, bunny. <laughs> <laughs> but the sheep come because they're in relationship. They're cared for. They know the voice of their shepherd. I saw a video this week on YouTube of a modern-day shepherd, and he was standing on this beautiful green hill, and there were rocks everywhere, and it kind of looked like Ireland, maybe, and there was fog everywhere. And he just he knew that the person behind him had a phone and was filming him, and he said, okay, I'm going to call them. And he started to call to his sheep, and you couldn't see any of them because of the fog, but you could hear them. And as soon as he called, they started to call back to him. And they started to kind of bleat or baa or whatever it is that sheep do. And you could hear them. And he just kept calling. And one by one, they started coming out of the fog. And they just ran up to him. And they ran into his legs. And they just kind of gathered around him. And I thought, oh, great. They all came. But he kept calling. And more came. The ones that were further away just kept coming. And it was such a cool picture because of the fog. They couldn't see him. They didn't know exactly where he was standing. But they heard his voice and his voice was all they needed. It was all the direction that they needed to come and find him. And once they were all there, he took some food out of his backpack and spread it on the ground. And then they ate. And I think they knew they were going to get fed, but they didn't like pull on him or look around for food. They came just straight to him because they had relationship. Now, some sheep keepers nowadays. I don't really call them shepherds. They use different tactics. Like I saw another video on YouTube this week. It was like an aerial photo and there was this like mess of white blob kind of moving around and there were dogs barking and chasing them. And they got all the sheep from the field into this tiny little pen. But that's not leading sheep, right? That's using fear and kind of force tactics. And that, that's not the picture that we have. Shepherds lead And the sheep follow because of relationship. You can get the same results either way. You can get the sheep where you want to go. But one is built on relationship and time spent in community, listening to each other, learning each other's voices, and one is not. (laughs) 
So the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd, but they also hear the voices of other people that come to the sheepfold. They hear the voice of the thieves and the robbers. And it was a common enough practice in Jesus's time for thieves to come and take sheep's take sheep out of the sheepfolds that this illustration made sense to all the people that were listening. But the shepherds, they knew the voice, but they also knew sometimes the shepherds would play a pipe and they would hear the tune and they would follow that tune. Well, I met a sheep farmer this summer in Indiana and she told me that their sheep actually knew the sound of her husband's truck. And when they heard his truck come up the driveway, they all ran into the barn because they knew that he was going to feed them. So modern day shepherds might use a truck. Back then they might use a pipe. But still in 2018, sheep still have a discerning ear. That's just who they are. One more story about sheep. I read a story of a shepherd in the Middle East and it was dark, pitch dark. There wasn't all the light pollution that we have here. And he called all 51 of his mother's sheep that he had in his flock by name. And they came to him one at a time. And he took their lamb and reunited them with their lamb in the pitch black dark. As all the other sheep are crying and the lambs are crying for their mothers. And he was able to reunite them. They knew their name. They knew his voice. They came to him and he knew them and he knew their lamb. In the dark. I don't want you to underestimate the relationship of a shepherd and the sheep. Don't underestimate it. It's a powerful thing. In our passage, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. If we trust in Jesus, if we are believers, then he is our shepherd and we are his sheep. He knows us. He knows us in the chaos of other sheep crying and trying to find their mothers and running around. He knows us in the chaos of everything else that's going on. But do we know him? Do we know his voice? Are we able to discern his voice? We have to be able to discern his voice amongst all the other noise and all the other voices that are in our lives. Why is it important to know his voice? <laughs> Well, it goes back to relationship. I don't just want to know about God. I want to know God. I want to know him. I want to know his character. I want to know his thoughts. I I want to know what he thinks about me. Did you know that God thinks about you? He has thoughts about you. For example, like I know about my great grandmother. I've never met her, but I've heard things about her. If she were to call me on the phone today, it'd be really weird because she died before I was born. But if she were to call me today, I would have no idea whose voice it was. I've never heard her voice. But if my mother were to call me on the phone, even from someone else's caller ID, I would know instantly that it was her. Because her voice has been in my ear since before I was even born. I know her voice. The longer you're in relationship with somebody, the longer the sheep follow the shepherd, the more intimately you know their voice. And the easier it is for you to discern if it's their voice or the voice of a thief or a robber. My husband, Grant, just became the principal of the elementary school in our community this summer. And it's a really great thing. It's been amazing. But he was asking my opinion on how to communicate with the parents from the school. Should he send an email? Should he send text messages? Should he do phone calls? Like, what's the best way? And me as a parent in the school, like, how would I like to hear from him? And I told him, I said, I think that the phone calls really make a lot of sense. Because the superintendent does that often, like once every other week. And I kind of feel like I know her because I've heard her voice. So often. I've really only met her a couple times, but I feel like I know her. And so Grant was like, well, okay. So one thing I didn't really think about is that it's really, 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 really weird to get a robocall from your own husband. (laughs) So he listened to me and decided to do it. And he recorded this lovely message about all the exciting things that are happening. And my phone rang And I answered it, and I heard his voice, and I instantly knew it was him. But he wasn't talking to me. He wasn't talking to Sarah. He was talking to Mrs. Anderson, the mother of a fifth grader and a third grader. And he did not ask me how I was. He did not tell me what time he was coming home for dinner. 
He did not tell me he loved me. And I got to tell you, I was honestly offended. Like, I honestly had a really hard time with it. And I was like, how dare he? And so I had to work on my heart a little bit and texted him. And I was like, dude, seriously? Like, you didn't even ask about me. Do you care about me? Now, when I first thought of including this story, I thought it was just kind of funny, you know? But I think there's something there. God speaks. He speaks today. And he speaks to us personally. Now, I've learned how to discern the voice of God, and I've heard God speak over me, and I've heard God tell me his heart for me. And so my relationship with God is in this this good place. But before that... Before I heard God speak his heart to me, it kind of felt like a robocall. Like I would read the Bible and it was just kind of dry and robotic and kind of like, yeah, this is great, but he's saying it to everybody else. When we learn to discern the voice of God, you get to hear him speak to you personally. Just as Grant reserves, love you, bye, (laughs) for me. God has something that he wants to communicate to you personally, just for you. That's not a robocall. He wants to speak to you personally. So this begs the question, how do you hear God's voice? Does it sound like thunder? Does he speak audibly? I think he can. I think he does. I think he did speak that way. But I think a lot of times now... He speaks to us in our minds. It's that still small voice that you hear. It's kind of like that gut feeling that you get. It's when you read your Bible and you've been going on a reading plan. And then one day you're having a really hard time. And the passage that comes up in your reading plan is exactly what you needed to read at that moment in time. And it just speaks to your heart. God speaks to us in our minds. Just like he can hear us when we pray silently in our minds, he can drop thoughts in our minds. But here's the thing. God's thoughts in our minds sound just like our thoughts in our minds. It's not thunder in your mind. It's just your own internal voice. And so I think for a lot of us, I mean, I know for me, when I learned to discern the voice of God, I was like, oh my gosh, he's been talking to me for a long time. I had no idea. I thought that was just me or it was just random. But he speaks to us in our own internal voice. We just have to learn to recognize it. So let's get practical for a minute. I want to give you two suggestions for how to learn to discern the voice of God in your thoughts. First of all, writing. This is how I first learned. I would take a journal or just a piece of paper or wherever I was, a pen, and I would just start writing whatever came to my mind. And it would kind of start out with like, I feel really stupid. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Don't forget to buy milk. Pick up the kids at three o'clock. And it was just kind of like whatever was coming out of my hand, I just kind of let it go and just kind of let my thoughts kind of flow onto paper. And pretty soon it changed. And it was, Sarah, you are precious. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I don't call myself precious. (laughs) Yeah, And it was just kind of this weird experience. But... I had gotten all the other thoughts out of the way. I didn't try to fight them. And so I was able to kind of just flow with it. And I was able to hear his voice that way. Another thing with journaling, if you think you've heard his voice, write it down. So you can go back in a week or a month or a year and look at it and see if you were right. That's how you learn. Secondly, just pray. Pray, share your heart, share all the things that you need to share that you need to get out of the way so that you can really listen. And then just sit and be quiet. And he'll show up. He'll speak to you. May not be how you think he's going to show up. It might be in your own internal voice. He might give you a picture in your mind. Like right now, everyone picture a Christmas tree in your mind. That's how it kind of looks in your mind when he gives you a picture. Or he might give you a word. Like right now, everyone sing jingle bells in your mind. That's kind of how it sounds. 
but he might just show up in your mind and give you something. Ask God what it means. Like if he does give you a Christmas tree, (laughs) what's this about? It's August. (laughs) Ask him what it means. Listen some more and then go from there. But also God can speak to us through other people and he can give us his thoughts for other people. So we've had kind of a big summer. Grant got his new job and then we moved. And that kind of came up a little bit quickly. And it's been a huge blessing and we love our new house. But there was a day in June, maybe the end of May, where we were under contract on our new house and we were under contract on our old house. And things looked a little shaky in both of the deals. And I had this moment of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a 36-year-old mother of three with a husband and we're going to have to move into my parents' basement. Like, this house is going to fall apart, but someone's going to move into our old house and we're going to be homeless and what are we going to do? And I started to have all this anxiety and all this like, "Ah, what are we going to do? And so I started to try to fix the situation and I started to force it. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to call the owners of our new home and we're just going to offer more money. And we're just going to pay more because we love that house and it's the house we want. And we're just going to, we're just going to do it. And Cheryl Pfeiffer, if you remember Cheryl, she went here for years and years and years. And they just moved to Maine to help plant a vineyard. She texted me as I'm in the midst of these phone calls with the realtor. And she texted me and she said, Sarah, I was praying for you this morning and I heard the word release. And I just started to cry. And I was actually in the parking lot setting up for an event here, <laughs> wheeling things, and I was sweating and hot. And I just started to cry, and I stopped. And I said, God, you see me. You know what I'm going through. And it took one word, release. I said, okay, God, I release to you the radon in our old house. I release to you the pipes in our old house. I release to you the roof inspection of our old house. I release to you the appraisal of our new house. I release to you all the negotiations with the realtors. Like, I just release it. I'm not going to force the situation. I'm just not. I release it. And within hours... Our realtor called and said, hey, guess what? Uh, The new owners offered to give you $15,000 off the price of your new home. (laughs) Okay, like, sure, we'll take it. (laughs) Had I forced the situation, had I walked into it, that never would have happened. That would have been off off the table. God sees us, he knows us, and honestly, he saves us from ourselves sometimes. What I thought was this huge problem was actually him trying to bless us financially. I misinterpreted the situation and he knew it. So he stopped me. Release it. Release it. We like to think that we're all alone in our minds, that our minds are private and inner sanctuary, but we're really not. Psalm 139 verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. But let's take it a step further. There are actually multiple voices in our heads. And I'm not talking about being schizophrenic. I know how that sounds. But some of my thoughts are just me, Sarah. They originate with me. They are mine. I claim them. They're not all necessarily positive. They're not all necessarily negative. They're just my thoughts. Some of my thoughts are from God. He drops thoughts into my mind. He tells me how much he loves me. He gives words to me for other people. All of the thoughts from God in my mind are positive. They are loving. They are good. They are holy. They are righteous. God's never going to drop a thought in your mind and tell you to go murder someone. He's never going to drop a thought in your mind and tell you to cheat on your husband. All of the thoughts from God are good. But there's a third voice that is present. And this is a voice that is never truthful. It's never loving. He's called the father of lies. James or John 844 says he was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We have an enemy. He doesn't want your thoughts to be good and pure and lovely. He doesn't want you to hear the voice of God. Because then you'll be transformed. And then you'll go against his kingdom of darkness. So he also puts thoughts in our minds. Thoughts that are never good. Our minds are a battleground. See, when we became followers of Jesus, we were given a new heart. Our hearts are good. Our hearts are pure. But we were not given a new mind. We have to constantly transform and renew our minds. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to battle to keep our minds pure. To renew our minds. To make our minds think the thoughts of God rather than the thoughts of the enemy. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's this word, metacognition. And when I learned the word metacognition, I was like, ah, finally. Metacognition means thinking about your thinking. We have to use metacognition. We have to think about what we're thinking about. And it sounds like this crazy circular kind of thing, and it kind of is. But we need to think about what we're thinking about. What are you thinking about? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? If not, stop thinking about it. God's only going to give you thoughts that are pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. He's going to give you good thoughts. And the closer you become to him and the more you learn his voice, the more your own thoughts are going to become that way too. Because your mind is renewed, it's transformed. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The thoughts that aren't pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, we take them captive and we get rid of them. We say no. I don't agree with that thought. I don't take ownership of it. If the thought is destructive to you, to a relationship you have with another person, to another person, it is not from God. Don't take ownership of the thought. Don't claim it as your own. So you may be thinking, well, how does the enemy even influence my mind? How does that happen? Well, culture for one. He's everywhere. What shows are you watching? What books are you reading? What are you talking about with your friends? I'm saying all these things to myself as well. What shows are you watching, Sarah? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Kinda. (laughs) What are you filling your mind with? Ephesians 6.16 In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, is he shooting real, literal flaming arrows? No. (laughs) We would see them. He's an active adversary. He's on the move. We would see him. They're not real, literal flaming arrows. He's invading our thoughts. That's where he invades. Thoughts in and of themselves aren't necessarily evil or sinful. It's when you dwell on those thoughts that evil has the room to kind of settle in and make itself at home. Martin Luther said, You cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. If if you have a thought that's not good, don't let it make a nest in your hair. (laughs) Tell it to get out of there. For example, let's say you have a husband that snores. Anybody with me? (laughs) Or a wife. (laughs) And let's say (laughs) you're a wee bit frustrated in the middle of the night 
and you have the thought, I could take this pillow and I could make it end and he will never snore again, (laughs) right? But immediately, like right away, Grant, right away, you think, no, I love my husband. I'm not going to smother him. And so you decide to kick him instead, right? That thought to smother my husband was not good or pure or admirable. And it did not come from Jesus. Jesus did not tell me to smother my husband. But I took it and I got rid of it. It didn't get to make a nest in my head, right? Or in my hair or whatever that quote was. I took it and I said, no. So it's not sin because it crossed my mind. And I said, no, that's not good. I'm not going to dwell on that. And I got rid of the thought. Now, if I took that thought and I was like, okay, how am I going to hold him down? Or what am I going to say to the children? And I started to like process all of that. That's when evil has room to come in and divide and start making itself at home. In James 1.15, it says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Something has to kind of like percolate there within the thought for it to actually become sin. You don't go straight from conception to birth. Think about our population, if that were the case. There's a process. Things have to develop. You have to give it room to grow and to mature for it to become sin. It starts with that desire. But what do you do with the desire? How do you handle it? How are you handling your thoughts? Are you dwelling on the evil thoughts? Are you saying, nope, get out of here? You're not responsible for the birds that fly over your head. You're responsible for what you do with them. This speaks to our discerning the voice of the shepherd or the voice of the thief. Again, God is never going to tell you to do something that is destructive or sinful. On the other hand, Satan doesn't have the capability to tell you to do something loving. So that's going to help you right there. Is it good? Or is it destructive? We need to examine our thoughts, evaluate them, then decide, yes, I'm going to take hold of it, or no, I'm going to let that one go. See, you invited Jesus in. You said, Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be in my heart. I want to love you. I want to follow you. You invited him in, so he has the right to give you his thoughts. You said, yes, I want to follow you. And so he said, okay, I'm going to start sharing my heart with you. You have not invited Satan in. He's an unwanted guest. So of course he's going to kill, steal, and destroy. He's there with malintent. He's not there for anything good. But you don't have to live your life in fear of him or in fear of his thoughts. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does resist mean? Well, I looked it up. Stand in opposition against. That's just the word no. No. And he will flee from you. In our passage in John 10, it says that the sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from a stranger's voice. We don't even have to do the running. We have more authority than sheep. Literal sheep. All we have to do is stand in our authority, in our relationship with Jesus, say no, and he does the running. He has to flee from us because you have authority. You belong to Jesus and he's got all the authority and he said, I'm going to share it with you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't have to live in fear that he's going to tell you to murder your husband and oh my gosh, I'm going to smother him with a pillow. It's not a fearful thing. You just say no. And the thought's gone. And I roll over. Well, I kick him. And then I roll over and go back to sleep. (laughs) It's not this big dramatic thing. It doesn't have to be. It's just saying no. Resist the devil. Stand firm in in your identity and your authority. Say no. And he runs. He goes. Are you following the thief? Are you listening to lies? 
You know how you might know? Do you live in a state of anxiety? Do you live in a state of shame or guilt? Guilt, by the way, is the feeling of, I've done something wrong. And shame is the feeling of, I am something wrong. Do you live in a state where you deal with that all the time? Are you listening to the thief? Do you hear the shepherd's voice? Do you know what he would say about you? Do you know that he would never call you worthless or say hateful things to you? He is full of grace and compassion. He gave his life for you. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. You are beyond condemnation. Romans 8.1 there Therefore, <laughs> there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus' track record. Jesus paid for the things that the devil likes to remind you of. They're gone. They're paid for. So which voice are you listening to? Or maybe this is it. Which voice do you give more credit to? When God says, Sarah, you are precious. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Do you grab hold of that thought and say, yes, I am? Or are you believing more the enemy when he says, you are worthless? Do you grab hold of that? There really are two voices. Which voice are you going to give more weight to? Which voice are you going to believe? Jesus wants you to have freedom in your thoughts. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. There may be some of you that, t- that today you're thinking, man, I've been thinking all those bad thoughts and I've been wondering, what is wrong with me? Why am I thinking these things? I don't want to think these things. And you thought it was you and you thought there was something wrong with you. There's freedom for you today to know that the enemy infiltrates your mind. That's freedom. One last story about sheep. <laughs> During World War I, some soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from a hillside near Jerusalem. The sleeping shepherd awoke to find his flock being driven off. He couldn't recapture them by force, so he called out to his flock with his distinctive call. The sheep listened and returned to their rightful owner. The soldiers couldn't stop the sheep from returning to their shepherd's voice. The shepherd's voice is stronger than what the enemy tries to do by force. You can hear the shepherd's voice one time, and he can rescue you from something that you've been held captive by for a long time. All it takes is hearing his thoughts about you, for you, that are good and lovely and pure and admirable and excellent, one time. You hear his voice It changes you. It transforms you. So I want to take just a quiet minute and invite him to come and speak to us. If you feel comfortable, put your hands out on your lap just as a sign of God. I'm ready to to listen. I'm ready to receive what you have to give to me. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to come in this room. We invite you to come into our minds. We welcome you into our hearts, into our minds. You are a wanted guest. You're invited. Please share your thoughts with us. Thank you, Father. If you heard his voice, write it down. Go home later, write it down. Think on it, pray on it, meditate on it. If it wasn't good, say no, get rid of it, and move on. So we're going to move into the worship part of our service. We're going to start by receiving the offering. So if you're on the far left side of a row, if you could reach down and grab the basket 
and pass it on down the row and the ushers can come on forward. Thank you for giving so generously. Your giving really has transformed this church. It changes our programs and the way we get to do things. And it's really impacting our city, other nations. Your giving has been so generous. So thank you, Father, for the generosity of these people. Pray that you would bless them with provision in every household. Every household that's represented here, that they would be blessed with your provision. Pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings. And that they would be multiplied to do the work of the kingdom. Amen. So let's stand together and spend some time in worship. You're welcome to come up front to worship. There's room in the back for a lot of movement and dancing. Whew, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. So I have a couple thoughts or feelings. First of all, that some of you have allowed some desires that aren't from God to come in and build a nest in your hair. And you've realized that. And now you're like, well, now what do I do? Sometimes healing's a process. You know, like Jason and Emily, they came here and they healed from some wounds that they had and it was a process. And for some of you, come here, get involved in this community, just be with us. It's healing just to be in a community of people that love the presence of God. But for some of you, I feel like today healing and getting that nest out of your hair is going to be real quick. And it's going to be like running out of the grave, running out of the darkness into a new glorious day. I think for some others of you, God's voice has been kind of like a robocall. It hasn't been personal, and it's been nice to hear, nice to read your Bible, but it hasn't been personal. And today, he called your name, and you met him personally, face-to-face for the first time, or maybe you didn't yet, and you really, really want to. We're going to have prayer teams up here at the front. They would love to pray for you, and they would love to give you a word of how the Father sees you. They would love to do that. They would love to speak the Father's heart for you over you. So if you are really desperate for a word and desperate to hear the Father's heart for you, come forward, come get prayer. And if you've got a nest in your hair, stand against it. Say, no, I don't want this nest. Say, no, ask for forgiveness and it'll go. So put your hands out. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you want to speak to us, that you want us to hear your voice, that you are speaking to us, that your voice is good and true and lovely, and that we can trust your voice. We can follow you because we know that you will feed us and you will water us and you will pat us on the head and you'll bind up our wounds and you will care for us because you are a good shepherd. Help us get rid of all these nests in our hair. Take them from us. We don't want them anymore. We want you. We want your freedom in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So the prayer teams are going to be up here. Prayer teams, if you could stay kind of on this side. I'm going to have Jason and Emily come up on this side. And if you guys want to come up, give them a hug, give them a high five, pray for them. Send them off well. That would be awesome. Have a great week.